This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. It's good to see you this morning, excited about what God is doing in our midst today. If you have a copy of God's Word, which I hope you do, take it, open it up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're visiting today, it is our normal habit to walk through books of the Bible. That's generally what we're doing. And so uh, last week, we looked at the end of Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And this morning, we start in verse 26 and go through 31. Lord willing, we'll be in the latter part of Hebrews 10 next week. Many of you will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this because you've experienced it. I'm looking around the room. I know many of you. I know what's going on in your lives. Many of you are experiencing this now. The truth is there is almost nothing in our lives more painful than watching someone we love make really bad decisions. Particularly when we feel like there's nothing we can do, that it's, it's in a sense out of our control. We've said everything we could say. And no matter how much we've pled or what we've done, someone just continues to, to make bad decisions. And what makes it so hard is most of the time they know what's right, but they've chosen to not walk in it. And then what makes it even harder is that we, maybe because of our experience sometimes, or maybe just because of the wisdom God's given us, or just our awareness of how life works, we know that their decision is going to just lead to more pain and more brokenness. And the sad thing is, is, is many times those decisions to not walk with the Lord flow out of a broken life and a desire to find a way to put life back together. But when we walk outside of the way of God, we just bring more brokenness and more pain. It is an incredibly painful thing to watch someone we love do this. And, and if you know that feeling, you know you would give your life to get them to change their ways. Like whether it's a friend or a sibling, a loved one, a co-worker, whatever, you love them so much, you would literally do anything to get them to change, to, to walk with the Lord and to choose the way that is right. And that burden, that hurt, that feeling, that longing, that passionate desire to see someone do what is right is exactly the feel of the text this morning. You see, the author of Hebrews, who essentially is preaching a sermon to this church who is facing all kinds of persecution because of their faith, has for the last nine chapters been pouring out his heart, talking about the incredible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over, every chapter oozing with grace and love and the kindness of the Lord and just telling them the offer that God has made through his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to find life. And he's pouring out his heart. And in the midst of that are some warnings. But right here in Hebrews 10 is really the last of those strong warnings. And it's the strongest. It is right here the strongest, most passionate warning in all of the book of Hebrews. And it's heavy. Like it's so heavy that as a preacher who's been given the responsibility to preach faithfully the word, it doesn't give me the right to not be heavy. But it all flows out of this longing desire for people who have heard the word of God to receive it 
and not to reject it. Because the preacher here knows what happens when someone rejects the, the Lord. And he knows the pathway that someone is headed down and, and not only the brokenness on the way, but he knows the final destination. And out of a heart of love and desire and longing to see people make a right decision and choose to walk with the Lord, he writes these incredibly difficult words. If you're there in Hebrews 10, say amen. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Listen to this, verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Essentially what the author is doing is what he's been doing over and over in the book of Hebrews. Three times in Hebrews, the author stops and says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Showing the importance of responding to the Lord at the moment the Lord speaks. Today, if you hear his heart, hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And he's doing it again. And it's almost like right here before we get into these really more devotional aspects of the book of Hebrews in the end of 10 and 11. He stops and one more time says, I want to plead with you not to reject the message of the gospel, but to give your life to Jesus Christ. I woke up early Tuesday morning and I was reading this passage and just praying over it and asking the Lord to, to kind of show me what he wanted to say to our church through this text. And the Lord gave me something early Tuesday morning. I felt like the Lord said this to me, that I cannot preach this text faithfully unless I ask people to respond immediately. I cannot preach this text faithfully unless I ask people to respond immediately. Why? Because this is an immediate text. It's talking to those who have continually heard and continually failed to respond, and they know all the answers, and, and they could quote the gospel themselves, but the gospel has not yet changed them, and the whole feel of the text is this. You must respond now. And so as someone that has been called to be faithful to the text of Scripture, that has to be the feeling of the message today. And you know, you know me, and you know how I enjoy being with you and preaching, and uh, you know how I enjoy even to bring humor into the pulpit, but this, this text does not allow for that. It is a sobering call to respond to the gospel. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to walk through this text actually rather briefly. And then I'm going to call you to respond to it immediately and publicly. What I mean is I'm going to ask you if you have not had your heart changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you have not come to the place in which you've fully given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm gonna ask you to do that today. And then when I get done preaching, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna stand right here and I'm gonna ask that if you want to make that public today through baptism, you come meet me right here and I'll walk up with you and we'll get baptized this morning. This is not a gimmick. This is the appropriate response to the text of scripture today. There is no other appropriate response. Now God did some, I almost thought about this morning just giving stories of what God has done. This has been one of the more supernatural weeks of my life. I woke up Tuesday morning, I felt that. I texted the staff. I said, meet me in the office at eight. I wanna talk to you about this. They said, yes, go for it. Of course, they have nothing to lose. They're not the ones standing here hoping somebody comes. They said, go for it. And then, and then all of a sudden, stuff started to happen. We, our school went on a retreat this weekend. Over 20 kids got saved. 10 of them said they wanted to get baptized. We had already planned a baptism service. Many of them and their families are here this morning. The Lord has just been in this. We saw eight people give their life to Christ this morning and were baptized. One grown man, amen. One grown man was weeping so badly in, in, in the baptism. I said, what is going on in your life? And he just said this, he goes, I just need a new heart. Well, that's what God does. Two people Andrew and I have been praying for for over a year. Our neighbors were the first to raise their hands this morning, give their life to Christ. They're the first ones I baptized. I could barely keep it together. So let me just answer a couple practical questions before we get started. The first is this. We've got everything you need to get baptized. There's a shirt, shorts from small to triple X. We've got all the shorts, towels, Everything you need, it's ready. You don't have to bring anything, hair dryers, everything you need, it's all here. Listen carefully, I wanna say one more thing. I believe this morning that God's gonna work in the heart of some children. I think some of you are gonna feel the desire and the need to give your life to Jesus Christ and here's what I wanna say. Children, listen to me. What I wanna say to you is this. If you're sensing your desire to give your life to Jesus Christ, then I want you to talk to your parents or whoever it is that brought you this morning and then we wanna talk to you this week and then next week we'll have another celebration and we'll do that. But we wanna be careful with that and we wanna make sure you have time to talk to your parents and then talk to us and, and, and we want to navigate that decision with you. But listen, all the rest of you, uh, from students all the way up to adults, we're calling you to make a decision today. And, and here's the reason why baptism is so important. Your decision for Christ is very personal. No one can make it for you, but it's not private. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father, Jesus says. And the reason God has created baptism is baptism is the way to go public for your, with your faith. Baptism is the way to say, I'm choosing to trust and follow Jesus and I want everybody to know. That's the first response to giving your life to Jesus Christ. So let's look at this text together. The text is written to a group of people much like this morning. It's written to the visible church. Well, what do I mean? Well, the big debate in the book of Hebrews is who's this written to, believers or unbelievers? And that matters in a sense in Hebrews because there's so many confusing passages. The answer is this, it's written to the visible church. The church like we can see it, this room is the visible church. Now the real church is the one that only God can see, meaning God knows those who are his. But I don't know that and I can't discern that fully. And so I'm looking out over an audience this morning that is the visible church. And in this audience are true believers and unbelievers. Those who are genuine in their faith and those who have played the game. 
those who have put on the mask, and those who are authentic before others and before the Lord. There are the real and the fake. There are genuine believers in the room, but there's some that aren't. And I don't have the ability to discern that, but God does and he knows the heart and that's why the spirit of God speaks in a place like this. But it's written to the visible church and that's why he says, for if we, the visible church, but it's not just a group of people who are at church, but it's a group of people who have heard the truth. Look at what it says. If we, and I'll address that next little phrase in a minute, go on sinning deliberately, listen, after receiving the knowledge of the truth. What's the knowledge of the truth? It's, it's the truth of the gospel specifically. So it's talking to a group of people who are part of the visible church. They've come to church and they've heard the gospel. If that's not you already, it's going to be you in a minute because I'm gonna preach the gospel. Now he knows that there's people like that in the room because he just finished nine chapters of gospel. So we kind of jump in this morning to chapter 10, but those who got this passage had already heard nine chapters in which he begins by talking about the glory and supremacy and greatness and majesty of Jesus Christ in chapter one. When he talks about Jesus Christ is this great anchor of our soul. And when we are anchored in Jesus Christ, we are immovable. He talks about Jesus as our great and perfect high priest who has taken upon himself flesh so that he might meet the righteous requirements of the law, meaning God demands you be perfect and you're not. So Jesus comes to live the perfect life that God requires and he dies so that the wrath we deserve can be placed upon him and he gets judged and we don't have to. He talks about the fact that Jesus as this great high priest is the only one that can bring us to God. And the reason that matters is because everything you need in life is found in God, everything. But you can't get there without a high priest. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus gets you to God and everything God has to the extent that Ephesians 1 says, when you come to Christ, you get every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God gives you himself completely. He's already showed them that if you wanna experience the rest of God, meaning this freedom from all of the anxiety caused by your sin and all of the insecurity of knowing where you stand with God, well, that's Jesus Christ. He has the life and the peace and the rest and everything God has all found in Jesus. So nine chapters of that he's been talking about. So he knows they need it. So he's saying, those of you who have received the knowledge of the truth, you have heard the truth of the gospel, but he's, talking to those who have heard it, but have not received it. So nine chapters of saying, listen, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's Hebrews. Nothing's better than Jesus. But there are some who have yet to believe it. And look at how he describes them. Look at verse 26. He says, for if we, the visible church, us this morning, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Well, what does that mean? It means that if you have heard the truth, and go on sinning deliberately, and there's, there's a problem. Now listen, everyone that gets saved goes on sinning. Like we'll go on sinning until Jesus takes it home, but that's not this, it's saying those who go on deli sinning deliberately, meaning there are those who have heard the truth and the gospel and the call to repent and to turn from their sins and to follow Jesus, but instead of doing that, they've left church and nothing has changed. Has that ever been you? Like you leave church and nothing changed. There's deliberate sin. There's continuing sin. So you come and hear 
that I need my heart changed by Jesus Christ, but instead of doing that, you just keep on sinning. He says, this is the group of people. But he describes them in other ways. Look at verse 29. He's talking to those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God. Sounds like a really harsh phrase, but it's actually something that happens all of the time. It's giving this picture that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us. And instead of seeing Jesus as he's presented to us and kneeling before Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to be the one that saves me from my sins. Instead of that, there's just a walking over Jesus and continuing. That's trampling overfoot. Trampling overfoot doesn't always look like stomping because you hate it. It could look like just ignoring and keeping walking. And so the author knows that there's people like that. They, they have heard the gospel, but they just have kept walking and they walk right over the sacrifice of Jesus without receiving it. He says they have also, look at this, profaned the blood of the covenant. What does that mean? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ, which is shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There are some who have profaned it. It means they have treated it as common. They have treated it as insignificant. They wonder why we get excited about the blood. They wonder why our songs talk about the blood because the blood doesn't mean anything to them. And this is finally, they have outraged the spirit of grace. Now, I'm so thankful for this passage right here, this little phrase, because this is a hard text and a different side of God than you may be used to. But while we're talking about the outpouring of the wrath of God on sin and sinners, it reminds us that it's given to those who have already heard about the grace. That God wants to give you something you don't deserve. He wants to give you full and eternal life. He wants to clean your conscience, take away all the shame and the guilt and the pain. He wants to take your broken life and put it back together. And so the way that works is this. You come into a place like this by the sheer grace of God and you hear an offer of salvation. That in itself is a gracious gift. You don't have to be here this morning. You are, and God's giving you this offer of grace. But when you reject the movement of the spirit in your life, what you do is you outrage the spirit of grace. You say, spirit of grace, I don't want you. I'm refusing you. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. Now listen, those phrases seem harsh and maybe like something you would never do, but listen to me. Do you know this happens every single Sunday? Every Sunday in this place, people come and they hear and they know, but they're unmoved and they're unchanged. And there is no love for the things of God. There is no grieving over sin. There is no desire for the Holy Spirit. The guy that said this morning, I need a new heart, said it, having been in the church his entire life, but knowing in his heart, he has not received a new heart. You see, because the gospel doesn't say to you, clean up your act or you're not going to heaven. It doesn't say that because you can't clean up your act. What it says is this, come to me, trust me, and I'll slowly from the inside out, after I give you a new heart, start to clean up your act. But God's primary concern is not that you get your act cleaned up, but do you get your heart changed? Salvation is a miracle of God. And he starts in the inside. So he's saying there are those who have heard this and received this, but they just, they just keep on moving. And every Sunday, people gather here, and some, are, and some just unmoved, completely unmoved, just keep going. And the author is, is grieved by this fact, as any pastor would, looking at people unchanged by the gospel, 
And he's asking them to respond right now. And the reason we're calling you to respond now is because this text is to those who have heard it and heard it and heard it, but have not responded. And it's almost like, God, we can't keep playing this game. You, you gotta make a decision for Jesus. And the reason he feels that kind of weight and burden is because of what he says next. He talks about what happens to this group of people who don't respond. He, he sees the path they're walking on. He knows the danger. So look at what it says in verse 26. If this is you, you go on and sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Look, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. This is a simple phrase. What he's saying is this. There's only one way you can get your sins forgiven and that's Jesus Christ. That's it. If Jesus doesn't pay for your sins, you will pay for your sins and stand before the judgment of God. But it is possible to have your sins forgiven by trusting Jesus Christ. But if you don't do that, there's not another option. There's no plan B. There is no other sacrifice for your sins. So if you reject that sacrifice, there's no other sacrifice. So this is what it's saying. You've heard it. You keep on sinning, walking in open sin, deliberate sin. There's no longer a sacrifice for sin because you've rejected the one sacrifice. What he says. But instead of having a clear conscience and knowing you're right with God, what you end up having, verse 27, is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume his adversaries. Adversaries is simply a way to say you're walking in rebellion towards God and those who continue to walk in rebellion of God will experience the outpouring of the just wrath of God for sin. Facing the fury of God's wrath, which is real. He goes on and he says this, he says in verse 28, he gives this illustration. He says, if anyone set aside the law of Moses, and they die without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. All he's saying is he's giving an illustration. In the old covenant, if you disobeyed the old covenant, you had all these witnesses against you, well, that meant physical death. Listen to what he says then. How much worse punishment, okay? How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God? So you're not just breaking a law you're literally rejecting the one who has given his life for you. You're trampling him underfoot. So if you receive a physical punishment for breaking a law, how much more would you deserve to experience the judgment of God by trampling underfoot the sacrifice that's been made for you and rejecting it? And it says, if that's the case, he says, for we know him who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And the Lord will judge his people. And then verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Listen, that's only true if you're standing before him without having your sins taken care of by Jesus Christ. If you've had your sins taken care of by Jesus Christ, it is a glorious thing to enter into the rest of God. It is the greatest hope of a believer for this life to end and the next life to begin, for all of eternity to experience the goodness of God, that is the most wonderful hope of every believer. But if you don't have Jesus, it is a terrifying thing to stand before God and have to pay for your own sins. There's this little gospel tract called Two Ways to Live. And I love the way it says this. It says, if you continue to reject the Lord, what happens is this, God finally gives you what you want. 
what you want is, is you want God to leave you alone. God, I don't want you. I don't want to give my life to you. I don't want to follow you or trust you. And so the Lord finally says, okay, okay. If, if you don't want what I'm offering to you, that's fine. But the only thing left is for you to experience the judgment of, of God. Now listen to this. Maybe this, this is your first time at Prince and you're say, saying, this is exactly why I don't like church because it's all of this, right? The anger, the fury, the wrath of God. Can I remind you that this passage is found in the 10th chapter of Hebrews and is preceded by nine chapters of an invitation to come and to receive the grace of God? Nine chapters pleading with you to find rest in God, to get your conscience cleared, to get your shame taken away. Nine chapters of begging for you to come and to know the life that is in Jesus Christ. But it is the most unloving thing to do after people have continued to reject that, to not say to people, if you continue to do that, here's what's left for you. And the reason is simply this. Every sin must be paid for. And you have two options. You can pay for it yourself and experience the outpouring of the wrath of God for eternity, or you can simply trust Jesus to pay for your sins. And instead of facing the judgment, you know that Jesus has already faced the judgment for you. Every sin you've ever committed, put on Jesus, done, paid for, to the extent that twice, Hebrews 8 and 9, the text can say, Jesus remembers your sins no more. Why? Because Jesus already paid for them. Like they're gone and the slate is clean and you stand righteous and holy before God. And everything about this text is motivated by grace and love and desire for you to experience the fullness of everything God has for you. But the truth is this, if you continue to reject that, there's nothing left but the wrath of God. And so as I read this text, I, I, I think that the response is to simply say this, it's time for no more gimmicks. It's time for no more games. It's not time for no more playing around with the things of the Lord. It's time to give your life to Jesus Christ. In an awareness of what has been offered to you, in an awareness of what happens when we reject that offer, right now is the morning which God in his grace is saying to you, give your life to Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus. So how do I do that? Well, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you do is this. You say, Lord, I want Jesus to save me from my sins. I trust that he alone is the way and I'm ready to follow him. That's it. Isn't it magic? You, you just have to come to a place in which you say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm not gonna continue to profane or walk over or ignore. I need a new heart. Something's not right. And you don't have to have anything else figured out except this one thing. Are you ready to give your heart to Jesus? Let him change it and then he'll take care of the rest. But it's a decision that every one of you has to make as you stand in this place this morning and have heard the word of God. As you feel the stirring of the spirit, the only responsibility you have, I told a guy this this morning in the baptistry, the only responsibility you have is to take the next step. What is God calling you to do today? For some of you, you were baptized when you were a kid, you were saved later, and you've never been baptized genuinely as a believer, which means you haven't been biblically baptized and you need to get baptized this morning as a believer. Some of you need to say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to trust and follow Jesus. And immediately when I stand down here, you need to come and give your life to Jesus. We're gonna do that today and celebrate what God is doing, the beginning of a new life. But whatever it is, let's respond immediately to what the spirit of God has said. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.
Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.